Dear Lord, we come to thee. Jesus, we come to thee. Out of all of our messed up lives. I thank you for RUF. I thank you for every person here. And I thank you for Chris. And I pray for him now as he comes to deliver the message to us. Speak to him. Sorry, speak to us through him. Um, and enlighten our hearts with what he has to say. In your son's name. Amen. Um. Thanks, thanks team. Thank you, music team. Give these guys a hand. They practice long hours to help us worship. So, um, before we go on, I want to mention a couple of people here. One is Ryan Carp right over there, and I've introduced Ryan uh, before. Ryan works with uh, Chosen People's Ministries here. It's a new campus ministry, and he is a Messianic Jew. He is a, he is a person who is Jewish by birth and uh, came to the Lord Jesus. And so um, his ministry is all about thinking about how we can bring the gospel to Jewish students here on this campus, roommates, people on your floor, and that sort of thing. So that's who he is. So if you want to talk to him about um, getting together and, and strategizing, thinking about how to pray, how to minister to Jewish students, um, talk to him. The guy behind him is David Green, and David is my friend, area coordinator, and uh, uh, he's down here for until Friday. So if you'd like to meet with David and like talk about RUF, the in, RUF internship is uh, something that Logan and Christy are doing right now. Maybe you're interested in maybe that for your future. That would be awesome to see you think about that and uh, to pursue that. So he'd be a great guy for you to talk to. Also, right after uh, RUF tonight, it's an ice cream night at McDonald's on RUF. So um, we're going to go down um, and eat some ice cream and just kind of gather together down there. So we'll try to clean up this area pretty quickly and, and just go down and uh, enjoy because next week you guys are off. It's a break. Um, with that said, we are looking at Genesis uh, tonight. We're going back to Genesis, but further on in the story, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 29 and 30. And I tell you, this is this story is like a love triangle. Uh, it has uh, there's a triangle of idols. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. Um, there, there. This story. Um, would make a great movie. It would be rated R. Definitely rated R. R for RUF. And, uh, again, but it's kind of like, this is kind of like modern family, arrested development, all together. Except it's probably not a comedy. Um, I mean, there is some comedic things that happen in it, but, um, there's a search for love, there's love at first sight, there's power plays, uh, there's deception, there's lying, there's in-law problems. It's your average, everyday, dysfunctional, ancient family. Okay, that's what we have here in this story. And so, I'm going to read this story. It's, it's quite long, uh, but it really displays what we would say, uh, what we've been singing about all night, about our idols. It displays the fact that relationships kind of bring out um, our sin nature and our idolatry. And and so we're going to see kind of examples of that. And so before I read it, though, just to set it up, maybe this maybe you're not familiar with the Old Testament. Um, so let me just give you a brief background before we read this to kind of set the context. Because we've been jumping around this semester. We've been in Ephesians. We've been in Genesis. We've been in First Samuel. We've been kind of all over the place. But this passage is dealing with. Uh, the beginning of God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it's a story about Jacob. He was the third uh, patriarch. 
the grandson of Abraham. And if you go back to Abraham, he was the guy that God chose out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He worshipped the moon. He was a pagan. He didn't know anything about God, anything about the God of the Bible. And God chose him and, and calls him and brings him forward into the promised land and promises all these blessings. He's going to be a great nation. He's going to have this land. He's going to bless the world. He's going to ultimately save the world. Then he has a son. His name is Isaac. Okay, It was a miracle baby. They were both barren, Sarah and Abraham. And he has this miracle baby by the name of Isaac. And uh, down the line comes Jacob and Esau. And this story is about Jacob's search for a wife. In fact, Abraham, or not Abraham, but Isaac and Rebekah um, both told Jacob because his brother Esau wanted to kill him that you need to leave. Go to Paddan Aram. Go to the hometown of Rebekah, his mother, and seek a wife there. And so Jacob goes on this journey. There's all kinds of family strife. His brother is trying to kill him. Why? Because he stole the birthright. And he stole the blessing. If, if you remember anything about Old Testament history, this is that incredible scene where um, Jacob and Esau, um, brothers, uh, Esau was the oldest. He deserved the blessing. But by God's uh, intervention and by God's decree, the younger son actually gets the blessing from his father in a deceptive way where he was putting uh, goat hair on his arm to fake that he was his brother. And if you know the story, it's, it's, it's quite crazy. So Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a scoundrel. And uh, Jacob has lots of conflict in his life. And now he's going to find more as he seeks a wife. And so... Uh, read with me. This is a long story, but it's very interesting. So hear God's word. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the sheep back in its place, and put the stone, excuse me, back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, so he's walking up, these guys are with their sheep, and he says, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled up from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. This is his first date here. And wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinman kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son and she ran and told her father so it's her it's his cousin um, 
As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Cue the aww. Um, then, then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you with, did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Fourteen years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, He has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she shall call, she, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, I'm sorry if some of your names are going to be mentioned here. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob's, Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. 
and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had conceived, ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah. Okay, now we're back to Leah. Okay. Uh, you guys staying with me? Are you with me? Okay. Um, she stood, there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of kids happening right here. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she, she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Now, in the days of, of wheat harvest, Reuben, that's the first son of Leah, went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So she's trading her husband Jacob for mandrakes. When, ja- when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Okay. Wow. I mean, there's all kinds of things in there, isn't there? Now, if you're thinking that the Bible is a book that you just like pick a character and follow them as an example, because you think that you're going you're gonna to get saved, because if you follow an example, this would be a perfect story to read to say, no, that's not what the Bible's about. Because that's how a lot of people look at the Bible. Like, just read about a character, follow him, and then you'll be blessed by God. But what you see in this story is a mess. What you see in this story is is sinners that are seeking themselves. And you see uh, just a host of things taking place. What you see ultimately is the perfect storm of the idols of what I would call beauty, romance, and family that are all converging. And they are making life literally a living hell for these people. And so, John Calvin, he said, the great theologian, he said that the, the heart of man is an idol factory. I love that image. The heart of man is an idol factory. It's just constantly making idols. And uh, tonight, we're going to look and see some of those idols that, that take place. And when I'm speaking of idols here, I'm not talking about wood statues or totem poles or like stone, um, you know, uh, monuments out in the desert somewhere in the Middle East. 
But what we're talking about are idols, things like money, things like beauty, things like sex, uh, power, independence. Um, we can place in our hearts any functional idol. And these are kind of like practical saviors. Things that we say, instead of God, um, man, it would be great if the Ravens beat the Steelers this week because for even a, for a little while at least, I would be very happy. I would be excited about that. You know, I would kind of live off of that for a little while. We can do it with our sports teams, but it's more about we do it with things like sexuality like we talked about. We say that, wow, if I could have that, uh, I would be happy. Uh, we do this with power. We do this with status. We do this with our career path, our GPA. And we say, if I can attain this and I will be important, this will be my Savior. This will be my practical Savior. And so, this is what our hearts do. This is what it means to be a sinner. All of us suffer with the, these kind of things. And the story is going to point out these things to us. Now, ultimately what happens with what uh, Tim Keller has called a worship disorder is these things enslave us. That when we worship other idols, when we worship things that we were not built for, you see, we were built for God. We were built to have Him in the middle of us, in the center of us. And when we put anything else in there, in that vacuum, so to speak, in the middle of our souls... What tends to happen is it enslaves us. It might give us momentary pleasure for a season. But what the picture of the Bible is, is it is the fact that idols will enslave us and they ultimately will kill us. In fact, I was reading in, I think, Psalm 116 or 115 today that we basically become like the idols we worship. We become like them. They form us. They change us. But... The Gospel says, worship Me, worship the Lord, and you will be blessed. You will find life in Me. And so we're going to look at these three idols. We're going to try to look underneath the surface at each character and see what's going on in their heart. We're going to look, see how it's enslaving them, and see what the answer to these idols might be. And so the first thing, the first idol we're going to look at, Jacob's issue. And I would say it's for romantic beauty. Jacob's issue in this story is that he wanted a hot wife. Okay? And so, where does that come out? Well, let's look at a few things. It's love at first sight. He has gone on a long journey. Uh, he has made it to his uncle Laban's farm. The shepherds are out in the field. They're with the sheep. And uh, he begins a conversation with the, the sheep herders that are out there. And then enter Rachel. She is a shepherdess. And it says this, As soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his, others, his, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Okay, Jacob is making a grand entrance here. All the other shepherds that were with the sheep, they're just sitting around. They're not doing anything. As soon as Rachel shows up, boom, he springs to action. It is me. He rolls this huge stone from the quarry and uh, the water is gushing out and, you know, he's watering the sheep and uh, he is making a grand entrance. That's what this commentator Derek Kidner says. He is basically saying, Rachel, look at me. I am your man. <laughs> and so, 
This is what's happening. He goes for the beautiful. Verse 17 talks about the fact that Leah's eyes were weak. What does that mean? But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, literally in the Hebrew, um, that means Rachel, she had a great figure and body. That she was a beautiful woman in form. Uh, and the names give also a clue to their appearance because Leah's name means wild ox or cow. Um, and Rachel's, Rachel's name means you or you lamb. Uh, so we know that Jacob ultimately is smitten by her beauty and in the process he makes a lot of unwise decisions. Here's, here's what's going on. There's a Hebrew scholar and some of this material I'm getting out of Tim Keller's uh, book called Counterfeit Idols, which I highly recommend. That would be great reading for you over the break. Um, but he says, here's what Hebrew scholar Robert Alter says. He says, lovesick and overwhelmed, Jacob was with Rachel. Jacob offered seven years wages for Rachel, which was in the currency of the time, an enormous price for a bride. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob says to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. Alter says that the Hebrew phrase is unusually bald, graphic, and sexual for ordinary ancient Hebrew discourse. Imagine saying to a father, even today, Hey, I can't wait to have sex with your daughter. I mean, this is basically what he is saying here in verse 21. Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. What is going on? Why, why is Jacob so passionate? Why is he so uh, lovesick? Why is he desiring her so much? Why is he paying this enormous amount of time? Seven years. I don't care what it is. I'm, I want to get with her. Keller says this. Jacob's life was empty. He had never had his father's love. He had lost his beloved mother's love. And he certainly had no sense of God's love and care. Then, he beheld the most beautiful woman uh, he had ever seen. And he must have said to himself, quote, If I had her, finally, something would be right in my miserable life. If I had her, it would fix things. All the longings of his heart for meaning and affirmation were fixed with Rachel. This is really getting underneath the surface to what's going on in the motives in the heart of Jacob. Uh, He was totally controlled uh, by this idea, this idea that this romantic love, this beautiful woman is going to be my practical Savior. If I could just get with her, if I could just have her, then everything in my life would be made right. And don't you know that just about every... Every chick flick, every, every movie in Hollywood is kind of saying that. It's saying that to us. It's saying that like, if you just had the right guy, girls, or girls, if, guys, if you had the right girl, uh, then things would go right and you would live happily ever after. Uh, this is what we're sold. This is what we deeply think uh, in our lives. There's a, and where did this come from? Well, there's a guy by the name of Ernest Becker, and he says in his book called The Denial of Death, he says... Um, 
He speaks of how secular people, meaning people that have basically rejected God, he says one way people still instill purpose and meaning is through romance and love. Becker calls it, quote, apocalyptic romance. We look to sex and romance to give us the transcendence and sense of meaning we used to get from faith in God. As our culture, uh, as people reject God, one thing normally they don't reject is love and romance and, and uh, the connection, the hookup. Because deep, deep down in us, we're made in the image of God and there's something beautiful about that because that is something that God has given us. But we've totally uh, made it something for self-fulfillment. Instead of having in view God's good plan for a marriage and commitment uh, to a woman or to a man for life and serving them, we've made the romantic uh, notion and the sexual fulfillment and the, you know the the lust for beauty. We've we've said this is ultimate. I feel I feel uh, transcendence when I uh, am with this person. Uh, we feel infused with satisfaction. He goes on to say this, the self-glorification that he needed in this innermost nature, he now looked for in the love partner. The love partner becomes the divine ideal with which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing else. Ernest Becker. Beauty, sexual beauty, uh, this romance trumps all. Now, one of the things that uh, the commentators note about this whole scene with Jacob is how it compares with his father's story of how he got a wife. And Isaac, his father, um, actually didn't go on the journey to find a wife, but sent his servant. And Isaac's servant, when he went to find Rebekah, his mother, prayed. He was full of prayer during this journey and seeking God. And he finds Rebekah and uh, talks to her dad and brings Rebekah back to be the husband of Isaac. This story in comparison with that really shows Jacob's heart. And his heart is one that he doesn't look to God at all. There's no sin, there's no prayers in this passage. There's no crying out to God by Jacob saying, "God, help me. I'm looking for a wife." Uh, there's no dependence. It's all, I see her. I want her. I'm going to go get her, and I'm going to do anything to get her. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get her, even if it's for 14 years. The result is all kinds of entanglement as the story goes on. And this is where you see that idols are just not out there and they don't affect us, but as we give ourselves into idolatry, it leads to all kinds of entanglement in our own hearts, changes us, and it also makes it a crazy, entangled uh, uh, bondage culture around us. And so, you know, this story is very interesting because... um, you might be asking, well, how did he make this mistake of, uh, you know, he works these seven years, he's been thinking about Rachel the whole time, and then all of a sudden, it's Leah. Well, back in the day, in that culture, you know, the wedding would probably have some um, uh, some wine, some fermented drink, okay? 
and uh, it would be a big festivity. And the bride traditionally was veiled uh, and covered. Okay, and so Laban, his uncle, has these two daughters. One is beautiful, knockout gorgeous, and one is not so beautiful. And in his mind, he is thinking, I've got the perfect idea right here. I've got the perfect deception going on. And so in the midst of this wedding celebration, and when it comes time for the marriage night, he switches the brides. And next thing you know, he wakes up and it is Leah. And he is not happy. Uh, Keller talks about this idea that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And as you think about beauty... As you think about the fact that Jacob was giving himself thinking to Rachel and all of a sudden he gets Leah. There's something very interesting in this. One, one thing is this. Jacob originally was the great deceiver and now he's getting the taste of his own medicine. If you know the story. You know, he deceived his father, stole the birthright and the blessing by pretending he was a hairy man and putting goat skin on his arms. And now he's getting a taste of his own medicine as, as, as uh, Laban deceives him. Uh, and next thing you know, he has Leah and he wakes up and in the morning it is Leah. Now, the point is um, that in your life, there is always this issue of in the morning there is Leah. What, I, what do I mean by that? But no matter how beautiful someone is or someone seems or how, how good a person is, that if you are worshiping, if you are putting all your, you know, uh, your desires into this one thing, they are going to let you down. Um, everybody is broken. You could have the greatest relationship, but guess what? This person is also a sinner. This, this person, you might have this infatuation idea, but guess what? At some point during your relationship, there's always in the morning, there's Leah. Does that make sense? That you're always going to get to a point where, you know what? The thrill of this relationship has run out. Now what? And the question is, are you going to be led by that? Or are you going to put something else in your heart as your ultimate desire and love Jesus, and be able to love properly your husband or wife. The, the point is, relationships will not satisfy all of your needs. Your needs for ultimate joy, happiness, fulfillment will never be met in one person. If you give another person that much, you, they will let you down and you will let them down. That's a tremendous amount of burden to put on a person. The only person that we can put all of our coins in the basket with is God. Because He is the Creator. He's the one who loves us. And so, going back to this idol of beauty, this idol of romance, I want to just touch on a few things. I mean, our culture is huge with the idol of beauty. Um, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and, you know, we turn on the TV, turn on Facebook, the advertisements. Guarantee you that the people on the side of your Facebook are pretty. Okay? Uh our culture values youth, looking young, being beautiful, being thin. It's led to millions of dollars of cosmetic surgery. It's, it's brought about chin tucks, tummy tucks, boob jobs, and all kinds of other things. 
the the whole plastic surgery industry has like increased exponentially within the last 20 years. Some of that is necessary cosmetically through surgeries and all that kind of thing, cancer and all that sort of thing. But the question is, people are getting that stuff done when they don't need to. What is driving that? Well, what's driving that is that uh, men, people, guys, boyfriends, husbands have said, you need to look like this, Victoria's Secret model. You need to, you need to have this kind of body. Uh, and so what's happening is people, you know, young women are being controlled by these ideas. It's put them in bondage. It's, it's made all of these body image issues that are going on, anorexia, bulimia. Sometimes when I'm over it, I don't know if they still this, do this, but the ERC, sometimes in February they'll have a note on there, exercise bulimia or exercise anorexia they'll talk about. Do they still do this? Because I haven't been a member for a few years. I'm back now, but... Um, you know, this is a very real thing in our culture, body image issues. And, and if you're struggling with those issues, um, a lot of people are. And you need to talk with somebody about those things because those things are dangerous. Those things you need to, um, to get help with. Um, but a lot of the problem is guys are driving the market of this because they're controlled by their idol of beauty. And instead of um, seeing this proverb, you know, beauty is fleeting, charm is deceptive, but a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised, instead of having that as your your idea and, and seeing the deeper beauty of people, you will you will really make a mess of a relationship if that's what your goal is. Um, the idol of beauty is often combined with perfectionism. You, you, it can leave you, par- you, you it can leave you paralyzed if you don't look like a certain person, or uh, if guys, if you are looking for the perfect girl and you're never going to date or you know get a friendship with 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 someone that doesn't look like that, you'll be waiting your whole life. Um, again. Is beauty good? Yes, it's an amazing gift of God. But what we do with idolatry is we make it the ultimate thing. Idolatry is taking the good things God has given us and making them the ultimate things. So where are you at with that? If you feel these things, if you sense these things, I mean, what do you do? You cry out to God. You know, God, change me. I see this. I see the Jacob in me. You know, help me. Help me to have your ideas of reality, your ideas of life. Second idol, moving on. The idol of what I'm going to call uh, the idol of intimacy or romance. I'm probably using some of the same ideas here. But this is going to look at Leah. What's going on with Leah? The unloved, the one with weak eyes, which is really describing that she was not pretty. She was not like her sister Rachel. And again, what we see is that idolatry takes hold of her heart as well. Um, now, it says here that when the Lord saw that Leah, verse 31, was hated, he opened her womb. So there's, there's an incredible picture here of God breaking in and giving grace to this woman. Here she was not loved by her husband. She was despised. You know, she felt rejected. She did not feel pretty. 
She did not feel accepted. And here God says, I'm going to open your womb. I'm going to give you children. It's really a picture of God's grace here. And, uh, and so then, but, but the thing is, she takes that, that fruitfulness of her womb and she basically uses that to try to earn the love of her husband. I mean, it's a terrible story. You know, you have two sisters that are married to the same guy. Uh, so her, she has her first child. His name is Reuben. And it, it sounds like, see a son, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. For now my husband will love me. Now my husband will love me. Look, Reuben. Second child, Simeon. It means heard. Hearing. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated. He, is, he, he has given me this son also. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm naming these kids out of my, the issues that are going on in my life. Third son, Levi. This is not the gene company. Okay. Uh, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. In the, the word for Levi sounds like the word attached in Hebrew. He will be attached to me. He will love me. He will value me. He will be intimate with me. He will care about me. He will communicate with me. He will do all these things. Naming these children reveals her heart's desire. What she ultimately wanted, what her ultimate issue was, is that she wanted her husband to love her. Is that a good thing? Yes, absolutely. But to some extent, it had become what she was all about. She is bitter. Uh, she's angry. Um, she feels totally alone. But then something happens in between the, the uh, third and fourth son. And here's what it says in verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Now Judah's name is a play on the Hebrew word for praise. This time I will praise the Lord. Something happened to Leah in the process of this pain, in the process of her husband not looking or not, not paying attention to her, not loving her, not caring about her. She found Jesus in the Old Testament. And the reason why we know this is because the, the passage, this is the first time this word Lord, L-O-R-D, capital, is mentioned. You know, when you read your Bibles, um, Lord, when it's capital L-O-R-D, is the, is the covenant word for God. That's Yahweh. That's the God of Abraham. That's the one who covenanted and made a promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. This is the covenant God that she has found. Now, how did she find him? Well, apparently Jacob must have told her about his grandfather. Somehow, in the mess of everything else, all of a sudden, Jacob must have told her about, oh yeah, let me tell you about you know Abraham, what happened to him. And, and let me tell you about Isaac. He was a miracle baby. That's my... That's my father, and you know he was born when they were a hundred years old. This and that. So somehow, you know, in the process of this messed up, horrible relationship, she got Jesus. She got the covenant God uh, in the midst of it, and it changed her. Now she says, "I will praise the Lord. I am not going to be controlled anymore by my husband that doesn't love me. I'm not going to be controlled about 
desiring this romantic intimacy, this idea that I have, I'm not going to be controlled by that anymore. I'm going to be controlled by the Lord and praise the Lord. Now, is it perfect? No. She slips back into all kinds of problems in the next chapter. But something had changed in her. Something had changed in her. So what about us? You know, are we thinking that, you know, Mr. Wright or Miss Miss Wright is going to be our salvation and we're going to have to have this ultimate, um, you know, apocalyptic romance in order to be fulfilled? If we're thinking that, we're going to be let down. Uh, we can't hold anybody to those standards. The, the goal here is that we get Jesus in the middle of us. Uh, you know, the goal is is that we understand that, no, there's a covenant, Lord, there's a promise for us too. Uh, that God is coming. I'm going to deal with that in a second. The, ne- the, last, the last idol is the family idol. Okay, and that's Rachel. Okay, now Rachel, she's got everything. She's got looks. Okay, she has Jacob, but she can't have kids. She's got issues as well. She's barren. Um, she's overwhelmed with her barrenness to the point in verse 30, or chapter 30, verse 1, you get a picture of her. She says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. It's pretty abrupt. It's very real. This is how she feels. Why? Because in ancient society, and I would say in our society too, children are important, but especially back then. Children were the source of you being a blessing to your husband. Children were the source of wealth. When you got old, who's taking care of you? Your children are taking care of you. Um, You would be blessed. You know, Think of her in the marketplace without children, without... Uh, everybody would know she's barren. She's something's wrong with you. Like, what have you done wrong that you can't have kids? I mean, this is the life that Rachel was living. She desired to have a family, but she couldn't. I mean, she even um, she even throws throws her servants, you know, at Jacob. Go have you know children with them. So so. She gives Billa, and, and she has Dan and Naphtali, and then Zilpah, and, and, and Gad and Asher are born. And, and then maybe, an, maybe the mandrakes. What's up with the mandrakes? Well, the mandrakes were believed to be an aphrodisiac. Okay, and so Reuben is out in the field picking up mandrakes. I don't know what these things look like or what they are, but all of a sudden there becomes a spat between Leah and Rachel over these... These mandrake aphrodisiacs. This is like Cialis in the in the old days. Okay, let me have some of those mandrakes. And uh, Leah says, "No way." Well, okay. Do you want those mandrakes? How bad do you want them? Well, uh, you, I'll give some to you if you will give me Jacob. And so she does. She gives Jacob to to her her sister Leah. I mean, it is a messed up story. Um. But when we have God's intervention here, she does not declare the main the mandrakes were the reason I got pregnant. In fact, you know, at the very end of this chapter, or in verses like fourteen, God's grace reaches Rachel as well. 
Um, and in all of her other statements, she talks about God, G-O-D, Elohim in the Hebrew. But here again, she also declares Lord, the covenant God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she says, um, and she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Lord, this phrase is the covenant God. And so she has Joseph. Just like what Leah prayed to, the, to Yahweh, she recognizes him. And so, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> you know, each of us has a hole in our lives. You know, what we're looking at here is kind of the whole romantic hole of, you know, beauty or true love, intimacy, um, children, family. Um, these things can become overwhelming. And, you know, in this story, you know, Jacob, he desired, you know, the beauty of this woman. Uh, Leah, she desired the intimacy. Uh, Rachel desired to have a family. And in all of these things, um, they looked at these things as ultimate idols in their life. It's, it's a messed up situation. Um, but, you know, what I want to get to finally here is, is the gospel. Because that's in this story as well. Where's the good news? I mean, this just seems like sin and uh, separation and defeat uh, and just craziness. But what's the big picture here? Well, the big picture here is that God is building His people through all of these weird relationships. Did you notice that Leah had six children? And also, Rachel had six children. That equals 12. Do you realize that Jacob would become Israel? And these are his 12 sons. Do you realize that a couple of these sons have particular meaning to us? And that being Joseph. Joseph becomes the one who Jacob loved. His brothers were jealous. And they, you know, cast him out of the family. You know the story. He goes down to Egypt. When he gets down to Egypt, God puts him in the second command to Pharaoh. When he's in Egypt, he uh, is able to understand that there's going to be a great famine. And so what does Joseph do? He, he stockpiles for seven years during the famine. And the whole world comes to Egypt to be saved. Israel, Jacob, and his family are part of those people that go down and they are saved by Joseph because God is in the midst of all of this building His plan. And then Judah is the son that's born to Leah, the fourth son. And we know that through Judah ultimately comes the Lord Jesus Christ. That He came through the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah, that Jacob would later bless and say that He would rule His brothers, rule His people that he would be the ultimate ruler. And so, what I want to say to you is that in the midst of our idolatry, in the midst of all of this crazy sin that's going on, God has a bigger plan. He has a plan of redemption that He's working. And He has a promise. Uh, and that is helpful for sinful people like you and me who make idols. Because ultimately, Jesus is coming to set us free from our idols. 
That's what the Gospel is all about. And ultimately, that's what this story is about. That God is working His plan of salvation. And He's going to work His plan of salvation through your relationships. Through your issues. He's going to take the things in your life that are like the biggest hurdles and the biggest sins. And by His grace, He is going to take those things and turn them into workings of His grace. That's what it's about. That's what. That's why we're here. <laughs> that's why RUF is here. We're saying God is in the middle of this world and He is bringing about redemption. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank You for uh, this story. What an amazing story. What a sad story, funny story, crazy mixed up story that You've given us. Not to be, not to be an example, but to show forth Your grace that, Lord, You work salvation even in the midst of all this. Lord, would You work salvation in our lives as well? Would You bring about true understanding of what relationships are to be about? First and foremost, to look to You. uh, To run to Jesus, Lord. And that You would help us with the idols that often surface in our heart. To work through them. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing another song. Come on up, team.